This is Triathlon Therapy with your host, Danny McKenna, professional athlete and coach, Tim Reed, and... That's too much time. Look at Steve McKenna. Steve, what are you doing, Steve? That's too much time. Advantage Reed. So we're back this week. Les Steve, who's balls deep in uh, 70.3 Ironman prep in Switzerland. We've got Clint Rowlings back on again. And Reedy, who's back after battling a bit of sickness. How are you doing, guys? Good. I'm back. Um, COVID for the third time. Felt a bit of fatigue, not too bad. Not the hard issues that I got with the vaccine. So <laughs> I'll throw that in there. Um, but yeah, feels good to be back. All good, mate. All good, my end. Did we watch the PTO on the weekend? Did we ever? What a race. Um, first of all, I reckon we should just say the PTO, I think, is starting to really get it right with that live coverage. Um, I thought commenta- commentating was pretty good. I-, I thought Jack did a good job. Like, that's a hard gig on debut to do, and it's, you're never going to get it perfect. I know he got still got slammed a little bit. Um, I thought he did okay, and, and I think he'll keep getting better. He's got a good voice for it. Um, what were your guys' thoughts on the coverage? Look, I hope that they stick with the same coverage in terms of the same commentators for the coverage because once they learn to work together well, I mean, as you said, Reedy, it's such a long like time to be on the microphone and trying to keep the conversation flowing. And there is bits in those longer races where it's a bit, you know, that they would be stuck for things to to say. So the longer they stay together as a as a commentary team, I think it'll get better and better. Yeah, the coverage was awesome. The looped courses, I think it allows them to put the drone up, um, you know, give us the wide angle that they kept showing, like actually how far, because a lot of people don't understand, like 90 seconds, how far that is on a run course. And when they're putting the drone up and saying like top right's Taylor Nib that's Ash Gentle, that's how far she's got to go. It really gives the people watching, like, feels like they're there, or even better than being there, really. Yeah, and Danny, from an age group perspective, inspiring result. Yeah, I think it was a a good testament to show that you can actually watch a three- to four-hour triathlon race and be pretty well engaged for most of it. And I think a lot of that, particularly with the men's, was to do with it was just such an epic race. Like the the Uber swimmers split into two groups. You know, Young got dropped a couple of times. There were comments that he's done. He bridges back up and then just runs off the Norwegian, you know, Christian cramping. So it was epic. Yeah, really was. Um, speaking of Christian and Jan, a bit of controversy on controversy on social media or in an interview after where Jan was saying. Christian punched him in the swim and it made him really angry. He was like, you know, I'm going to win this race. It's sort of becoming a bit um, bit of a common theme with Christian. And, mate, Christian, pull your head in. <laughs> there's winning and then there's winning at all costs and or wanting to win and winning at all costs. And I think you don't want to be known as that guy who's just being a bit of a dickhead all the time. So We know he's listening, so Christian... <laughs> You know, when I lined up against him at 70.3 Worlds, you know, just shoved me out of the way. We watched him shoulder charge. Uh, Maxie Newman, we've seen now we've heard of punching yarn. I mean, there's, you know, people need to, um, people want to respect him. He's obviously an incredible athlete, but there's, there's sometimes you've got to wind back that competitive instinct so you're not sort of 
being a douche. Is there, like, over the, if he keeps that pattern, like, going, ready over the next, you know, few races, because the same thing, um, a good example, like, Magnus actually isolated him on the bike in Ibiza, and it was it was really good to see, and, like, knowing that history of, say, what he did to Maxi in Hawaii and just the stories you hear, when Magnus does something like that, it's kind of like, yes, you know, someone's <laughs> finally getting him back. So, like, do you think that if, is there ways that people, you know, if they're not a good guy, is there ways that, that he can get isolated in the race to really make his day harder? Good question. I, absolutely. I reckon guys will definitely work against each other. Um, and, you know, it can be to the point where, someone might be leading the swim, see that he's a metre or two off at a turn boy and just hammer it to, you know, someone like Josh Amberger has the ability to shake guys like that, particularly if they don't like them. <laughs> um, I think it can, I think it can um, play a role. And so in the same way that people work together um, when the, you know, when they like each other and respect each other. So, yeah, 100%. So be, be a good guy is what you're saying. There's no need to be, uh, there's no need to, I mean, We've talked about in the past the way that, um, you know, you've got to have a level of like, you know, you've got to be a pretty wild competitive beast. But, um, you know, if you start, if it starts to become detrimental because you, you're isolating yourself against others, then, yeah, tone it back. Is there an element to, you know, Christian's mentality that, that stems from short course, do you think? Do you think it's a bit more like that in short course versus long course? Or is that, is it just the individual and, and how they choose to race, do you think? Good question. I don't know. I didn't do enough elite short course racing. I mean, I the, the roughest races I ever had was like the Lifetime Fitness Series when they used to start the men and women together. And I found the, the women used to really beat me up. And so I don't know if that's just a part of it. Um, I think it's probably just comes with maturity too. Like I'm sure he's just so keen to win and, and over time he'll chill out a bit and, and pull his head in. But speaking of um, competitive, like – how much drive must Jan Farino have to still be so bloody good? You know, this nearly 40, or is he 40? I don't know. But He's almost 42 now. Oh, There's, okay. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. There's still hope for us all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think it's so impressive. Like the, the GOAT argument has sort of been settled. Potentially, you know, you could still argue maybe Mark Allen's in the same category. I can't think of anyone, you know, who really – has been a dominant across everything like Fredino has been. And it was cool to see. It was, it was um, crazy. It kind of shaped up to be like an epic battle when they got off the bike and it was like, you know, a triathlon frother's dream. And then um, Christian cramping, like that was, that was like, oh, yeah. And so I thought, oh, it's all on Magnus. And then five K in or so, Magnus has got his suit off standing on the sideline because he needed to go to the toilet. So uh, it was, yeah, it was just, but I mean, watching Yarn run at, at, at peak, peak Fredino when he's running, is just, it's just amazing for a tri-frother to, to sit there and watch that. I could watch that all day. It's impressive. What about, you know, when you watch some of these live, this live coverage, not this race, but any other race, and you see like someone get off the bike four minutes back and you know, they're an Uber runner they put 10 to 15 seconds per K in, they get to the 15 K mark and the commentators are like, oh, is blah, blah going to go with him when he passes? And you know, it's no, like, you know, they're just going to more often than not scoot past. But Jason West with 5K to go, 
everyone knows how fast he ran. And Christian cramped three or four times, had to stop, somehow finished 20 metres behind him or something like that. Like, how the hell do you cramp that bad? Everything goes wrong. The fastest runner in the world comes storming past you and, and you go with him for the last 5K of the race. Like, it was insane to watch. Yeah, I'm really interested with Christian's cramping. Um, I don't, as a coach and for myself, whenever my mouth would touch Red Bull, I would be cramping within the next three minutes straight away. And I've heard that. I even know a Red Bull sponsored athlete who won't touch the stuff in races because of cramping. Um, I don't want to be giving Christian any tips because he doesn't need it. (laughs) (laughs) um, I am wondering whether, you know, it's just too much caffeine or what's going on with the cramping because there's no shortage of. You know, the biggest cause of cramping is just um, the muscles not being conditioned to the load, and that that can't be the case with him. No one trains harder. So uh, I, I do wonder, um, you know, and, and also Lionel mentioned that the Norwegians are punching, you know, insane amounts of caffeine, and you got to think, does he just need to pull that back? And because he's lost, he's losing races because of these, this cramping, these cramping was, issues that seem to pop Was up. it... Um... It was Laidlow who said that he had breakfast with him in the afternoon race um, at one of the PTO events and Christian said how much caffeine he had before races. And so Laidlow went, oh, if it works for them, it works for me. And then he ended up having to pull over because uh, the caffeine the caffeine went through. So, yeah, it's it just doesn't he, – he said after the race that he feels like it was specific bike, like his position because he's been riding his road bike so much. But um, – mm-hmm. Yeah, the Red Bull thing. I mean, you see it all the time. Like people have the have have epic amounts of, well, yeah, Red Bull or even even caffeine, and it's going to um, yeah, it's going to be detrimental. But it was. Um, I mean, it's the biggest caffeine is you know the biggest legal ergogenic aid there is. There's a range of somewhere between you know zero to seven percent performance advantage, and seven percent is astronomical. I know I was a huge responder, and I don't think it's any coincidence that when I had to stop caffeine with racing. Uh, because of my SVT issues and also cramping as well, I just felt like I never got the same level of psychological motivation while you're racing. You just turn into an animal on caffeine. Um, but certainly, yeah, there are downsides and it's a real tipping point. I think the AIS recommendations from what I remembered was, you know, the sort of benefits between, really good benefits between 200 to 400 milligrams. And then after that point, you sort of don't get any further benefit, but the side effects really kick in. So um, there's a sweet spot for everyone. Obviously, everyone's super sensitive. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether Christian pulls back that caffeine or sorts out the, the cramping. But those adductor cramps on the teeth, is that is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, and both. Sort of cramps, yeah, pretty common um, when you do switch between bikes. But Yeah, straight, um, off, straight off the bike into T2 and he kind of straightened his leg over the bike and just grabbed his adductor and, yeah, it was – it was like, oh, day's done. And then the way he fights back, I mean, specific, back to Jason West, like he deserves so much kudos for that. Apparently he had a bit of a bike issue where he had to stop and tighten his bars. So that would have made things interesting. But just before he caught Christian, he went past Sam Long, who he made just look like he was out on a Sunday run. Like he went past so fast and you could see like Sam Long, like he actually went past considerably quicker than him. And then... Yeah. Gets to Christian, you expect the same thing, and he just drops it, what, 30, oh, 20 to 30 seconds a K and goes with him, like, abnormal. Yeah. On the Christian thing, um, you guys would know 
be able to talk to this about you know the importance of pacing and i don't know if this this actually is what contributed to it but he's not always in that front pack swim swim group and he was and then he got out on the bike and within the first lap he was like 40 or a minute ahead or whatever it was and so i looked at that and went it's gone way too fast and then sure enough they caught him and then got off the bike and he cramped so i don't know if it was all because of that but i don't know yeah. it looked like he went pretty bloody could, quick so could be a combination of all of the above caffeine uh mispacing probably needs to chill his boots a little bit um i'm so stoked to see jason west getting these results like he's just such a nice kid uh i say kid like i'm 30 years old i probably am <laughs> but he like I just remember hanging with him after 70.3 worlds where we both had, I'd had issues with my heart. He'd had a shocking race. But talking to him, you could tell he had the right focus. He's not there. He doesn't give a shit about money or, you know, he's not chasing sponsors. He just wants to be the absolute best athlete he can be day in, day out. And, you know, we've probably, you know, there was a brief period of my life where I was like that. And then the results tend to flow. And then you, you lose you get distracted by chasing money or status or what, you know, whatever it is. And he's just got the right perspective. And um, I, I just see as long as he doesn't get, you know, if he keeps that same attitude, I just think it's going to keep the improvements will keep coming. It's pretty cool to watch. And I'm a big fan. So in terms of that, like with once the, obviously, so say he goes to Singapore and races, like they're, they're going to want to talk to him a lot in terms of like the media um, you know, sponsors will probably want more out of him. Do you feel like for someone like him, because he's got his head screwed on, it's a bit like it's not going to be as much of an issue for other people who, like, find that very stressful and, um, you know, can't deal with it as well once they actually get, you know, noted, uh, known? I think it's going to be – I don't know Jason well enough, but everyone responds differently. You know, I've hated having to do a lot of stuff the day before a race and – Steve's the total opposite. He's just a man of the people, seems to get energy from hanging out with people um, as much as I try and get him to, <laughs> to rest. So I don't know. It's a good question, but it will be harder. You know, we all saw the year uh, Fredino had a shocker in Kona. I remember he was doing, you know, Ironman pre-race videos for Ironman. You could see the fatigue in him, people just wanting a, bit, a piece of yarn. I think it, it's a real balance in being able to say no is going to be probably the challenge for Jason. Um, so I hope he can just have the have the balls to be like, no, I'm not doing it. And especially the sponsors who have the whole year to utilise you, and then they always seem to want to do stuff in the two days leading up to a race. I think it's it's really short sighted. It's often like a meet and greet where you see a hundred people, but if you win the race, you could you're reaching tens of thousands of people. So um, I I hope yeah just. Say no. <laughs> Do you think it would be interesting to see, um, I think, uh, from an outside looking in, you go, right, just get faster on the bike and you'll beat everybody. But obviously there's diminishing returns with that, right? Like the faster you go on the bike, he might not run those 306s off the bike like he did on the weekend. Yeah, I mean, watching the post he put up from his just his training peak screenshots, he's sort of 100K most run, week, most run weeks. Um, I feel like there might be time when he could play around with dropping that down to 70 80 and getting his bike a little bit stronger i think it's it is hard to make gains when you're running that much but at the same time you shouldn't he should probably stick with what's working so i wouldn't be if, until he really plateaus um i'd be i'd be sort of sticking with the recipe 
Um, I, we should give a special mention to Sam Apo. Crookers could be for a good little period. He was really fit and on song with his Ironman training. Uh, he was training up for Penticton and got six days' notice. And I just the base was there and to, to pull off a, a tenth place. Um, yeah, it was cool. it was good to see that he still got the still got some shorter distance speed in him. Kudos. Yeah, it was he was um like watching I wish back to the coverage that we talked about earlier, like I, I wish that we could have seen more of that run group because that was like and I'm surprised they didn't because Lionel was in there. But interestingly enough, I think he was ended up last of all that group. Um but yeah, David McNamee, Brad Vice, um, Apo, Lionel all got off the bike. I think Josh was there as well. They all got off the bike basically together and um yeah, it would have been good to watch that through the first, basically watch them suffer together. Um, that would have mm -hmm. been awesome to see. But And back to Jason, I think that it's only a matter of time right till, I don't know how the race um, dynamics played out for him on the weekend, but if he gets a right kind of solid group on the bike and all of a sudden that four minutes is two minutes, then he'll start to really um, just shit all over everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do. I will say one thing, just uh, not directly related, but the ranking system with these PTO races. I mean, you finish in the top fifteen, you're getting a bunch of points. It's really hard for anyone not in these races to keep a high ranking, you know. Which is part of the reason we Apo got six days notice. Like, man, you got to do it because otherwise you just cannot. <laughs> you cannot get get the ranking up. It's like the sort of the rich are getting richer, which I don't mind, but I do think you know. For a tenth place to be comparative to a, an Ironman win elsewhere, it's uh, very difficult to, to really move up the ranking. Danny, do you have any thoughts on oh, how just to construct that? The points drives me crazy because I'm so biased to Steve's career, right? And like you look at the um, uh, the points for the weekend. If St if Steve had come twenty first, he would have got the same points that for the for his win at Pormat. Yeah, which is in, which is crazy, and it was like a, a world class performance from Steve to then not get similar to at least the lower end of top ten at PTO race. I understand that you want to make that the the you know the real peak races of the year. I get that, but it's it's sort of yeah, it becomes a pretty hard game. Like someone like Apo wouldn't even have only because there weren't people who pulled out was the only reason he got a start, and yet he is one of the top fifteen guys in the world. On his day nearly every day um so it's a shame when people like that who want to chase some races in australia the the australian penalty as um don't get the don't get the points they deserve i mean there's been some good adjustments i think they're making positive changes i still think there's a way to go with that point system and that's with that like um all the pros you said adjustments like they'd all have to be making adjustments almost you know every year or not even every year like every every race build or whatever because like for apo that was almost too good of an opportunity to just go and 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 chase some money because that obviously take takes the stress off and the points for the end of the year so it's like the pros they'd be learning it every year right that like to how to play the game as well as possible to to win rate or to to race the races they want to race as well as making the points that they need to be up that ranking and also stay relevant with other brands. 
the only races I, I follow um, all the points scores and stuff, and I'm constantly comparing it to what Steve got at Cairns or Steve got at you know Port Mac, which is probably not the right thing to do. But I think I think the gold races, the platinum and the diamond, are kind of always consistent. The ones I'm personally I'm seeing that are super inconsistent are the silver races, where someone for the same strength of field gets 82, and then Steve in Australia gets 74 or something like that and i just i don't quite understand like the strength of field's not that much different how is there a 10 points difference between the win sort of thing and i'm not seeing that inconsistency as much with like the golds and the and the and that those higher races so yeah um let's just quickly touch on the women's race taylor nib how what a machine she's just so she's just dominating at the moment um thoughts fellas can anyone beat her on her day? If she keeps working on that bike position too, like I watched her ride it and it's still, yeah, it's it's a progression on where she was on a road bike at one point and then taking her road position to a TT. But if she spends more time getting comfortable on that bike, it's going to be very hard for people to, and she looks so comfortable on the run at this race. Um, Ash did really well to, kind of start to put some pressure on, but then it was, yeah, Taylor was really impressive. There was four of them riding together and not slouches on the bike. Paula Finlay was like pushing the pace at the start and then they were swapping turns and she was still putting time in early. It's just, yeah, she's definitely riding at um, another level, which it'll be interesting to see how far she can go. Yeah, Ash Gentle must be, I'm almost, she must be kicking herself that she didn't switch to non-drafting a few years ago, <laughs> she's just cleaning out. I mean, we all knew she was going to be really good when she did make the switch, and I think the Olympic um, lure is is real, and I get it. Um, but it's so cool to see her getting the results that she's probably, you know, a well overdue and getting the money she deserves. Um, so just a, when you watch her run, you're like, wow, it's, it's so impressive. So, you know, even from if you look at her run time, nearly five minutes quicker than – fourth, fifth, sixth place. Like, that's massive. Um, you know, I think the next quickest run is still two minutes um, slower than Ashley. So, yeah, pretty impressive stuff. Paula Finlay is so, um, so likeable and really cool to see her bang out another podium at this level. So, um, Fifth and sixth, Holly and Ellie Salthouse spent pretty much all day together and it's um, it's something that the PTO keep keep pushing is like that rivalry and I wish there was more of it, especially for the coverage. Like they were, you know, over the years they've they've talked about that. And so to anyone else out there, please start petty rivalries <laughs> with each other. So we've got something to follow along with. Yeah, that's cool. I I I knew of the rivalry. I didn't know the PTO were promoting it, but there's definitely um it's definitely a rivalry there. So it would that's a yeah, that's a pretty epic battle between those two. And they showed they only showed like the last few hundred meters really of of fourth, fifth, and sixth, but they were absolutely burying themselves and running scared. All three of them came across the line, hit the deck, and like couldn't get up. It was, you know, that would be the only thing. It'd be awesome to see like from a couple of k out because they were together. So it was a real like real fight towards the end but um i think they finished within a few seconds of each other fourth fifth and sixth so awesome racing you, you said Reedy about ashley you know potentially could have a couple of years ago made the jump 
it sounds like there's a fair few rumours um, that Gustaf's going to properly jump back over. Like, you know, he's now going to do the Asian Open. There's some rumours that he might do Nice. I don't know if that means he's definitely done with short course, but that's pretty scary for all the long course people going to the Asian Open. Yeah, I mean, he's shown that he's, um, you know, it's hard because there wasn't a comparison. With, I don't think there are many comparisons with Jan racing at the same time, but you'd have to say he's, uh, you know, of the top two, if not, you know, maybe top three in nearly any time he would race 70.3. Um, he seems to be so made for that distance. I never really understood why he would go back to ITU. Um Given his Kona performance, given his 70.3 Wells performance, he just seems his economy is just insane, and it's a it's a high risk going to that chasing the the Olympics when you've already shown that you can be, you know, the world's best at the longer distances. So I think it makes sense from my perspective. Mm. Him versus Jan at Nice would be pretty epic. Yeah, right. yeah, it would be very interesting to watch, and I guess you've got to look at him and think where their weaknesses or where they can actually be exposed and that Gustav would only really be the swim right where he would be if they could actually push the pace in the water and make it hard for him um that may be the the ticket to for yarn but it'll be it's going to be such a an interesting race similar to when 70.3 was there it was no one you know we we knew the we knew the course we knew the the previous results when it came to um to Hawaii every year and the people who dealt with the heat well and people who didn't and all that kind of stuff. But this time it's gonna be very it's gonna be very interesting to watch. Just the the way that the dynamics of the race will play will, will change the who's favourite, I guess, throughout it. Yeah. Well I think I mean that 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 course makes the race very interesting, which is why I've always argued for a variety of different courses for world champs because it, it puts if you had hawaii um down you'd probably i think it, the race would be a bit more predictable um you know you know the guys that have done that well there before but this i think you know gustav's going to climb better than probably than yarn but yarn's also a really really good descender so does he then make back that time um you know it's all speculation but that's what we love to do from our lounge chairs so <laughs> What have we got? Fan questions. I love saying fans. Like, they actually <laughs> are fans. Randy just gets his kids to write in and he's, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. We, we wrote most of the questions. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. First fan question is, which distance sprint Olympic 70.3 or full Ironman do you think has the most income available for professional athletes? I'll be quick on this because I've got a costume parade at 10 a.m. Um, <laughs> I think 70.3 distance tends to bode really well with sponsors. You can race every four to five weeks. Um, certainly when I was just focusing on 70.3, they were my most profitable years by country mile compared to when I started to try and do well at Ironman, maybe because I was crap at Ironman. Um, not crap, but not as good. Um, and then I think, yeah, I think they, especially when you, for the younger athletes who have potential in Kona, sponsors really love that get the regular prize money. It's just consistent exposure compared to Ironman where you're really limited to two, perhaps three big performances a year. 
So that the goalposts are changing, but right, ready with the PTO events. And like, I know the sponsors bonuses and stuff used to be heavily skewed towards Ironman and stuff like that. But now with the good coverage with PTO and, you know, 70.3 Worlds is getting bigger and bigger and bigger every year. Like the brands aren't necessarily so worried about Ironman compared to the other ones. Is that right? Yeah, I think I should say with the 70.3 distance, I'm including the PTO races within okay. that. Yeah. Um, I think um, sponsors, yeah, I think the sponsors will, will go where the most eyes are. And with, the, with those races getting so many eyeballs now, it makes sense for sponsors to, so I'm sure, I don't know for sure, I'm a bit out of the game, but I'm sure they're heavily starting to invest in those athletes who are doing well over that, that distance. Uh, I think, you know, World Champs, Ironman, some of the big Euro Ironman races, those guys that are, Winning those races is still probably going to get rewarded well with sponsorship, but you look at the, the prize money that you can make, even for a, a bigger um, Ironman distance event, uh, you know, if, if you're pocketing 20 grand, that still could be six months of work, you know, um, whereas that same athlete, you know, could go to a PTO race, two or three other 70.3s within that same time and have pocketed 150,000. <laughs> so yeah. it's... um. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I don't know enough about the ITU races and bonuses to, to comment too much. I know I had a big chat to Aaron Royal when I was trying to get him to come across years and years ago. Um, and it did sound like if you're in that top five, you can do really quite well. It's just that it's, you know, it's the depth is huge. Um, there's a bit of luck with for a lot of guys with that swim packs and things like that. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm going to put, put the hard answer down at the 70.3 distance being the most lucrative at the moment, including the PTO race distance. Did Reedy ever consider stuffing his budgie smugglers? Yeah, well, funnily enough, before it was considered a crime against humanity to use an asthma puffer in a race, I used to actually, because um, I do have quite bad asthma, I used to race with the puffer um, down there not to bulk things up just because it was convenient to um, have it there. And then I had to stop using Ventolin too because that was another thing. It used to trigger my heart issues. But, um, yeah, that's that was – I didn't mind that it bulked things up a bit, that's for sure. Some, some would say that he's um, already stuffing his budgie smugglers when he puts them on, mate. So, um, <laughs> But I think um, I've, run, I've raced in him a few times as well and it's – yeah, you end up putting gels down there and they end up in all kinds of ra random places, mate, when they slide <laughs> down. Well, I've probably got more room, so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It, I have had a gel. You sort of got it tucked into the edge of the budgies and then you lose it and it goes down and suddenly it's right underneath the gooch and you're like <laughs> running past people reaching underneath trying to grab some grab a gel to get some calories in. It's, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend a nerd belt over stuffing your budgies for sure. <laughs> He's really got to start paying me for all this no promotion. <laughs> really, why uh, why budgie smugglers? Like, were you always from the drop wearing those versus? No, I'm not. I used to. Um, I've got skinny hips and weird shape, and I used to find tri shorts. There'd be a lot of movement around, and I'd end up really chafed on my um on my parts. And so I actually started wearing budgies because it wasn't the thigh chafe that was the issue. It was all. <laughs> The other parts that were getting really chafed and so i also met the guy from budgie smuggler um lenny adam 
I don't know if it's Linford or Linny. I don't know. <laughs> I've always just called him Linny. But he looked after me really early on. With You know what it's like when you're starting out. Oh, sweet, some free budgies. <laughs> so it just made sense to to use them. And I found there were so many athletes sort of at my level to begin with that you had to have a point of differentiation from a marketing perspective. So it helped in that regard. Um, but also he was he came on board with money pretty early on too. And which is why I still racing, but he's just out of gratitude, even though obviously I'm not getting paid anymore. If I'm doing a marathon or I'm doing a fun run, I, I don't mind getting the budgies on as a salute to their early support of me. That was even like when you went early, like some of your first years of pro racing to the States, Reed, you were racing in like the black and white budgies and um, the Americans just like you get laughed at and like you, you might get the odd like, oh, good work budgies in Australia. But in America, it's like you're wearing a Borat costume. Like they just get so like pumped and excited about someone who's doing something a little different. So it was a marketing yeah. genius move from Reed. And also there wasn't really any money in Australia. So I I was lucky in that I went to a couple of trips to the US. I think I went for two or three weeks and got a couple of 70.3 wins in maybe three weeks and maybe a second or third. And that was the real tipping point where US sponsors got interested. and. All of those were done in in budgies, and I honestly believe that it it was a big influence in my sponsorship was just having that point of difference. So, moral to the story, it can pay to be a bit of a dickhead. <laughs> Best way to figure out if you're a responder to volume or intensity. Do you want to go? Should I kick it off? You I think it everyone off. responds to uh, – I, I actually talked about this on Jamie Edwards' podcast yesterday when I was running off no sleep and I called Clint, Clint, Clint Kimmons because I'd been hanging out with Clint Kimmons all weekend. Couldn't even get my coaching partner and one of my best friends' names right. So I'm, I was battling yesterday. Sorry, Jamie. <laughs> um, Alan Cousins put out a good tweet, you know, and I agree with much of Alan's um, theories and work and, and disagree with some of it, but – I like this one. He, he talked about, you know, when the zone two aerobic work stops working, bring in more intensity. And when the intensity's starting to, you're reaching a plateau and not going anywhere with the intensity, go back to a big zone two base work. And I think that's a really good way to look at it in the different phases. We all need different aspects, a different focus. I think the zone two is always the majority of the training, but the amount of intensity um, becomes more prominent at different times of the year um, and certainly different athletes do respond differently I always responded really well to intensity Steve responds fantastic to intensity um, and you tend to find as a really big generalization that bigger more muscular athletes really go well with big aerobic volume um, whereas the smaller athletes tend to do better off a more intense program less volume Clint yeah yeah um very much so for like for the guys and ladies i coach i often look at the I, I feel like i'm having really good success with the big muscly strong people because i feel like a lot of the stuff i do a lot of aerobic volume with them and it, they just respond really well to it um alan's so right in terms of if i think back to like years ago when reedy i was just doing heaps of aerobic volume and then reedy kind of had a look at things and brought in intensity and it just changes things up um and, and just it's a new stimulus right but um when you 
you can not, very early on when people start doing the sport, you can pretty quickly work out, especially if you're spending time with them training a bit. Like there's a lot of people who are just naturally, like as Reedy said, just responds well and is pretty gifted with the high intensity stuff. And then there's others who just thrive on the long aerobic type work. So it's to find out how you, like what you're better at responding to, you've kind of got to throw around, to throw a bit of, mud at the wall and see what sticks and then and then trial that over a bit longer period and i think even in the short term you can assess um people's recovery rates just from normal objective data and even just seeing how they're feeling you know sam benton was a classic example i don't know if it's from so many years of um high performance training you know the mileage and training they used to do when he was in his adolescence i think was way too much and he's, I, I call it the sort of the itu burnout where I'd give him an intense session and he just, it might just be his, the way he is, but it takes three to four days to recover. Whereas a lot of the later starters like Steve, myself, um, we could bounce back from that in half the time. Um, and you'd see it in the HRV resting heart rate data and the resting heart rate data. You know, Steve was a late starter. I can throw some pretty big training at him one day easy and he's back to being fully recovered. Uh, Apo is another example, I think, in the Sam Benton category of someone who it might just be the way he is, but I also have this suspicion that it's just too much training too young and also gets burnt out really easy with too much intensity too often. So it's a real, there's a lot more recovery built in for athletes like that. Wrapping up today's episode, um, we'll talk about maybe the poll that we uh, we ran on on the Instagram, and it looks like whether our fan, these are real fans or not that, that voted, um, it looks like everyone's pretty keen to get a age group winner on next time. So, Reedy, did how much of a teaser did you want to give for for that episode coming oh, up? I, I did ask a very good age group months ago. Yeah. I could follow up with him if that's what you mean. Dan Flues, you better come on. You, you committed. <laughs> now we hope to get Dan on. I have to check with him. I haven't really looked at his schedule, but I'd love to have him on. Someone I hugely respect, obviously worked with for a short period of my career too. Um, so, yeah, let's try and get Dan on. I think people always love to hear from him. He's a super smart dude and obviously still racing at a really high level. So uh, that would be cool if we can get him on. That's not even a teaser. That's just the full thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, boys. Thanks, mate. Cheers. 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 See ya.